for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Okay, we're continuing our series on the book of Nehemiah and Ezra, the call to rebuild. And we do trust you've taken time to get into the scriptures, to read these Wonderful passages, some of the names I can't pronounce, so if you can't pronounce, you're in good company, some of the people's names, but uh, we'll have a go at reading one or two in a moment. If if you do struggle with some of these names and and reading lots of scripture, it's great now with um, the the technology that we have, we can, I've got a pair of earphones and I'm walking to the office at the moment and I, I I can listen to all sorts of stuff, you know, it's great, I can... Get downloads of talks from all over the globe. Oh, yeah, this, I'll go into Holy Trinity Brompton today and uh, I'll go to Hillsongs um, tomorrow and I can listen to the scriptures just, just flooding my mind and my spirit in the most, you know, places where normally I wouldn't be able to read the scriptures. So I do encourage you, if, if anybody says, what do you want for Christmas? Um, say, I'd like a, 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 what do you call them? Ear, earphones, earsets. I can plug in and I can feed my spirit. We need to use technology for the right reasons, church. They've been given to us um, by God. Let's use them for God-glorifying purposes. So let's get straight into this chapter 8 of Nehemiah. I'll read just verses 1 to 10. I'm going to miss the difficult bits out because there's some difficult names I can't pronounce. But that's okay because I'm loved and accepted by you. That's okay, isn't it, church? Fine. I'm not going to try and impress you. Verse 1. So... Rebuilding work's been done. And all the people gathered as one man in, into the square before the water gate. How interesting. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read... From it, facing the square, before the water gate, from early in the morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra's scribes stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. And beside him stood all these wonderful Jewish people with great names. I'm not going to try and pronounce and Ezra opened the book of the, in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. And as he opened, the, opened it all, the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. They bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And more people with difficult names. <laughs> they helped the people understand the law. While all the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly. And they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. Holy Spirit, please help me today to convey the Father's heart to my precious friends and guests here. Amen. I draw your attention to this chapter that it's the only chapter out of Ezra and 
Nehemiah, where Ezra and Nehemiah are named in the same chapter. It's interesting that God brought these two people together to forward God's purposes. So Nehemiah, if you want, was apostolically sent from King Xerxes. I nearly got that right, I think. Did I? Yeah. Why don't they call them easy names? But he was sent by the king, but it was God sending him through the king. He was apostolically sent to rebuild the walls. And God brought Ezra in, who had a passion to draw people back to God's word. For Ezra, it says, was devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. That's in Ezra 7.10. And it's a rare illustration of team coming together in the Old Testament. It's quite rare. It's normally God came upon that person, then God comes upon another person. But here, God is, is illustrating something that he later fulfilled when Jesus came to earth. And you see that in when the Spirit's been poured out at Pentecost and the, the early church grows um, over Antioch. Um, the, 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 God brought prophets and teachers together and the Holy Spirit blessed that. And out of that he said, send, send apart from me Paul and Silas for the work. And see, we see how God does it. And these, these chapters are dramatic. They really are dramatic. The walls of, and the gates of, of, of broken Jerusalem had been restored. People had worked hard. Now Ezra stands before the people reading from the books of the law. That's the first five books of the Old Testament, give and take a bit. Um, I don't want to get into that. But I want you to note all the people gathered as one man. It was a community thing. You know, we, we come to church because, yeah, I, I need God in my life. But, you know, it's a corporate thing. I mean, just look, do you know the people next to you? Just look around and just look, look who are you? You know, um, just turn to your right and left. You know, God's put you in a people. It's a God thing. This is a God thing. All the people gathered as one man. One man. I want to kick individualistic Christianity out of the room in these days. It's one man. It's a one man thing. It's a one people thing. And all morning they stood listening. I can't cope with five worship songs before I have to see it. But they stood all morning listening to the story of Abraham, Moses, the Ten Commandments being given, supernatural provision in the wilderness, warnings of ignoring the covenant, that it was God's intention that they would enjoy the presence, his presence with them. It was about God's divine love relationship with them. One of the Old Testament verses I, I, I memorised um, when I was a teenager, um, Deuteronomy 7.7. 7. I stuck it on my handlebars when I rode to work, dangerous thing to do, but I remember it. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you. For you were the fewest of peoples, but it was because the Lord loves you and keeps and is keeping his oath that he swore to your father's 
that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This was so relevant to this people who had been in slavery for 70 years. It wasn't because they'd done well, they hadn't. It wasn't because they'd walked flawlessly before God, they hadn't. They had failed. But God brought them back simply because he loved them. You're here today not because you've done well. It's because he loves us. He loves you. He loves us. And the people were listening to their story. It it was their story. It was God's story, but it was their story. This covenant people. You see, but they'd they'd lost sight of the fact that God loved them and had set his affection upon them. And rather they'd broken this marriage covenant and gone off and given themselves to pursuits and practices that were in contradiction to who they were. Their God-given identity. So for, for six hours it would have been, they heard their story flash before them as a people. How God had pulled them out and chose them and put his seal upon them. And he said, I, I want to, I want you, it's like I'm entering into a marriage covenant with you, my people. I'll, I'll give myself to you and you give yourself to me. And, and, but, but don't go after this, don't go after that, don't go after another, another husband. And yet they did. And God sent his prophets to, to them. Hosea, the prophet, declared about Israel, she will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first. For then I was better off than now. Does that sound familiar to you, those who know the Gospels, the story of the prodigal son? You see, when Jesus told that story of the prodigal, he's referring to God's rebellious ancient people. Why do you chase after what is not yours to have? And as the, as the son in that parable of the Good Samaritan, feeding with the pigs, he remembered, and he said, oh, well, I'll go back to my father. You see, it's fatherhood that calls us back, not rules and regulations and a hard stick. It wasn't boundaries. It was affection. It was affection that the prodigal son won the prodigal son's heart. I will go back to my father and say, Father, I've sinned. And now we we look into this story of God's people For want of a better word, oh God, our father, husband, I'm mixing metaphors, but we have sinned. We have been far away from you and you've brought us back out of slavery and you've been tender in mercy and kindness to us. Man, this is not acting, it's getting to me. I just, this is God's grace at work in each of our lives. It's so pictorial for each one of us. It's not about you've got to do this, you've got to do that if you're going to find me. God finds us. 
God so loved the world that he gave. I will return to my father. And it's always God's intention that he should live amongst his people. That's, what, that's why God created us. He would walk. When he created Adam and Eve in that garden, he would, he would come down, the scriptures say, and he would walk in the garden in the cool of the evening. Why was that? To see if their mar- marrows and pumpkins were doing well? No, to have fellowship. He just wanted to talk with Adam. Yet already the tempter had got in and Adam had sinned and he was hiding and he'd become naked and he knew he was naked. And he said, Adam, where are you? It's not that God didn't know. He was asking him a question. <laughs> he knew exactly where he was hiding. But because he wanted fellowship with him. And you see through scripture, God, in the Old Testament, God wanted to be with his created people. Because God loves Inside the tent of meeting, we fast forward when Moses has got the tent of meeting and uh, he's got this young um, man, Air, um, Joshua, and, uh, it, and it said, um, uh, and the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. And afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but a young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Oh, how we need young men who want to linger in the presence of God. We need young men who will linger in the presence of God, who want the presence of God more than anything else. Do you want the presence of God more than anything else? Joshua did. And Joshua called, was called by God to take the people, lead the people into the promised land. Then we fast forward again. Now the temple's being built under Solomon. It's no longer a temple, but a temple in Jerusalem. And it said, now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the the house. What's that about? It's about God presencing himself. He loves being with people. God's presence. And he presents himself amongst the people. And the priests felt the presence of God, the weight of God's glory. And they could not stand because God was in the house. Have you ever felt the presence? Would you like to feel the presence of God? Put your hand up if you like to feel the weight of the glory of God on your house. On your ha- Some of you are. Actually, most of you are. Praise God. God's seen that hand. He'll, he will allow you to have a sense of the presence of God. On, on, if you hunger and thirst, you'll get it. And then later on, A sad, sad part in Israel's history. Fast forward to Ezekiel. The people had continued to rebel, not heed the, the warnings from God sent by the prophets for his word and what was written. And the glory of the Lord began to move away and up from the cherub in the Holy of Holies. And Ezekiel saw it and the glory of the, the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house. And the house was filled with cloud. That's the house, that's the temple. It was filled with the, cloud, the glory of God. And the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. Then he goes on to record, Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims 
oh, come back to me, come back to me. But I'm, if you, if you, I, I can't, I, I can't, I'm not going to keep my presence there. If you keep running away and doing this and going after foreign gods, then even more sadder. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain which was on the east of the city. The glory of the Lord departed. The presence of God. And all they were left with now was dead structures. Who wants a dead religion with dead structures with lots of rules and no glory? I put my hands up and worship because it's in here. It's not because I've been told to. I've got a, a, a quote from a verse from a holy book. If I want to fall down and worship, I will fall down and worship because it's a heart thing. That's God wants. It's a heart thing with God. It's not rules and regulations. And that's why Nehemiah chapter 8 is so wonderful. Because it speaks of God's deep mercy and grace. Inviting his wayward people back into his arms of love. They didn't deserve it. But you know what? I don't deserve it. And you know what? You don't deserve it. I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned. And while he was on his way home, I'm going to the New Testament now, so stay with me. His father was looking from afar off and he saw his son coming to him and he ran, off to, he ran to greet him. And he said, Father, I am not worthy to be called your son. I have sinned. Put me on as a hired servant. And he said, no, you're my son. And do you know what he did? He ordered that the, he said, put the best robes upon him. Clothe him with the best robes. And kill the fatted calf. I had a revelation of this this morning. He must have smelt terrible. He'd been working with pigs. Have you ever smelt a pig farmer? You, you, you smell them before you see them coming, don't you? They smell. And when this smelly son came back, the father put his arms around him and loved him. Oh, my word. Oh, there's some smelly sons and daughters here this morning. Who just need to know he loves you, no matter what you've been wading in. If you'll come back to him. There's arms of love waiting to gather you. And something else I had a revelation of, I've never seen it before. He didn't say to his son, First, go and get yourself washed. Never seen that before. He said, put the robes on him. Be smelly. You imagine his brother said, oh, he stinks. Why is this going to... There's a picture in this church. You see, you can't clean yourself up. He puts on you the robes of righteousness. Yes. <laughs> he gives you robes of righteousness.
can't make yourself better. You can't try and, well, I'll do a bit better before I go back to God. If you know you failed, you failed. And the Father, he just gives him his best. And he relates to him out of his goodness. And, and, and the Father relates to you out of what he's clothed you in, the robes of Jesus, the righteousness. You're clothed with his righteousness. You don't have to try and be better. You don't have to try and be better. Just receive that gift of righteousness that Jesus won for you on the cross. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. You see, their disobedience never caused them to forfeit God's love. But it did cause them to forfeit his presence as the glory left the temple. And that's a danger. That's a danger because we can carry on and do the churchy stuff. And it looks good. I don't want to look good, do you? I want the presence. I want I want the presence of God here. Yes. Don't you? I don't want to just know I'm loved. I want the presence of God to touch our life so we can touch our society, our world around us. And Zephaniah prophesied this in, in, in 317. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. These people had a revelation of their true identity. They were coming back to realize who they were. It starts with that, dear friends. It's possible to do it and to live it without knowing it, but you don't enjoy it. But to know who you really are in Christ is transformational. And as they stood recalling who they were and just how merciful and gracious God had been towards them, they began to worship and weep. It's possible to worship and weep at the same time. Because God's doing so much in you. He's forgiving you. God, I didn't deserve it. No, you don't. Have some more love. Because <laughs> I'm a God of love. Have some more love. My son died for you. The, the blood is enough. Oh, the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. And so you're weeping, but you're rejoicing as well. And that's what that was happening with them. And then Nehemiah comes up and he said, no, 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 you can just start rejoicing now. <laughs> you can move from that to absolute rejoicing. It's a time for rejoicing. And out of receiving grace and mercy, 
overwhelmed with a fresh revelation of their true identity, they begin to confess their sins before God. And as a prodigal son was being embraced by the father, he said, oh, father, and he confessed it, put the robes on him. It's a grace of God that teaches us or trains us to say no to ungodliness. It's not the stick. My dad, had this hanging on the back door from our living room to our pantry. I lived with this as a threat. My mum would say, you'll have the belt if you don't do what you're told. As many, many of you know, I love my dad, but he was, like many, so many fathers, the war fighting in the Second World War was so damaging to so many dads. And I was speaking to God one day. I felt the Holy Spirit say, God will be your father. God will be your father. And I said, yes, please. And I'll see my dad in heaven and we'll talk and we'll laugh and dance and sing. But you may have an imperfect father, but you can have a perfect father in heaven who will look and care for you. The prodigal son said to himself, I will go to my father, my father, and say I have sinned. You see, God could have left them in Babylon to perish. No future, no destiny, no hope. They've committed spiritual adultery. Yet the God of all mercy drew them back. It takes a revelation of the grace of God to lead us to repentance. The Father loves you intensely. Knowing our true identity as God's children brings about radical spiritual renewal. Do you know who you really are? How much God really loves you? These people, though disobedient, were still his people of promise. He hadn't got another lot to raise up. I'm going to keep loving this. Knowing our true value to God absolutely is critical for each one of us if we're going to flourish as the children of God. You know, there's such a spirit prevalent in the world of rejection and the gospel is the only antidote because God loves you. You may have been rejected by your wife, your children, your employer, your friends, your neighbours. You might be the black sheep of the family but the gospel is the antidote because God loves you. Christ gave himself for you that you may know perfect love. The Holy Spirit is currently 
releasing a huge wave of revelation through current songwriters. Have you noticed it? Helping people to understand their true identity of who we really are as followers of Jesus. No longer a slave to fear. God, what a song. It wrecks me every time I sing that one. No long... Why? Because Holy Spirit's highlighting these truths. We're no longer slaves to fear. You're a good, good father. This is the top ten, isn't it, of Christian songs at the minute. But the source is heaven. Oceans. Has anybody... See, Andrew, if you know the song Oceans. It's good, isn't it? Because you just get lost in the Father's love. Then Mercy by Matt Redman. God's giving mercy to his church. He's saying, you are my royal people, my sons, my daughters. And as they people wept in Nehemiah, they celebrated and reaffirmed their covenant relationship with him. It was fulfilled in the words of the prophet Jeremiah 70 years ago. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I think that was brought this morning, wasn't it? Yes. Do you think that's a coincidence? Do you really think that's a coincidence out of all the verses in the Bible that he just got lucky this morning and read that one? It's because the Holy Spirit is telling us this. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Oh my word, they weren't virgins. They committed spiritual adultery in high places. I want to say... His forgiveness brings back your spiritual virginity. You may have been sleeping around. I want to say the blood of Jesus Christ can bring back a virginity to you in the eyes of God. And God calls his bride to return. Jeremiah 3.14 Return faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. Oh, I wanted to divorce you. That's what it says in the scripture. I wanted to divorce you, but how can I? I love you. This is, this is such a beautiful, beautiful passage. The Lord God is in your midst. And all his promises are yes and amen. You know, God keeps his promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. When I stood at the, um, come on, sweetheart, stand up a minute. Let me show you what happened. When we got married, we exchanged rings. She put that ring on mine. It's a bit warped now. It's a bit overall and ring. Too much cycling, I'm afraid. And, uh, and, and the, the vicar, he got his stole, one of those things that you hang around your neck, and he wrapped it round. Oh, here we go. So the, my wife's new scarf. I won't tell how she got that money from me for betting. <laughs> but the, uh, what, what, what was it? told me the hydrangea bush was dead. And I said, no, it's not. He said, I bet you five pounds it's dead. <laughs> so she's bought this scarf with the five quid. <laughs> it wasn't dead. But the we vic- don't do that very often. My, our dear friend, John, John Leonard, we love John and Jane Leonard, and he wrapped his stole around us and he said, what God has joined, let no one separate. Thanks, love. When God covenanted with you to be your father it's done he'll never leave you or forsake you 
But you don't know what I'm going through, Graham. No, most probably I don't. But the Father does. We have a high priest in heaven who came to earth. The Father sent him. And he took on, on, he took on himself a form of humanity. And he became human flesh. And he lived. He got tired. He, he ate, drank, went to the toilet. He, he understood us. He lived amongst us. He lived that perfect life. He never failed. He ran his race. He died on the cross for our sin. He was raised from the dead by the Father. And he, was, he ascended into heaven. And now he ever sits at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for you and I. Saying, Father, I know what it's like. I know how difficult it is living with family. When we're living with brothers and sisters. Living with people who don't believe in you. I know what it's like. And he intercedes for us. You see, God does know what it's like. Undoubtedly, one of the highlights of the Rio Olympics was the triathlon event, which was dominated by two brothers from Yorkshire in England, Alastair Brownlee, who won the event, and his brother Johnny, who was a silver medalist. They competed in the Triathlon World Series in Mexico, a grueling 1.5 millimetre swim, followed by a 40 kilometre cycle ride, and finally a 10 kilometre run in the most hot and humid conditions, 35 degrees. They're champions. They, they even, the event made headlines due to the unprecedented manner in which they completed the race. With 700 metres to the finish... Disaster struck Johnny. Turn the lights on. Johnny has to win and to be sure of taking the title. And right now he seems to have lost control of his legs. And this is worrying. Oh, and he's starting to slow. And there is a little way to go. There's half a K to go. And Johnny is running out of time and is losing. He's losing his sense of direction. This is worrying. Oh, goodness me. This is a horrible sight. Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course. And Alistair's stopped to help him along. And Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. Oh my God, I cannot believe what we are seeing here, Matt. Is this allowed? Is he allowed to help his brother? You know, is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never seen anything like this before. Unbelievable scenes. Unbelievable scenes in Cozumel. The Brownie brothers arm in arm, but it's not by way of celebration. Henry Schumann's celebrating. He's going to win this race in Cozumel out of nowhere. But we have to be concerned about the health of Jonathan Brownlee. And they're not even on the final stretch yet. Schumann wins in Cozumel. The brothers are coming home arm in arm to finish in second and third. But Johnny can hardly stand. And Alistair is having to drag him across the line and pushing him home. Pushing him home for second. Johnny finishes in second. Goodness me. What an incredible conclusion here. 
in Cozumel. I've never seen anything like that anywhere in world sport. Thank you. Do you get the analogy? You see, each one of us falls short of the glory of God. We can't cross that line ourselves. But we have an elder brother. He'll come and uh, help us cross over. It says in the scriptures, when we, while we were without strength, Christ died for us. And no matter what you're going through at the moment, I want to say to you, God's love in Christ is enough. And there's one that sticks closer than a brother and his name is Jesus it's grace and these people of old they'd failed they weren't going to cross the line but God scoots them up and carries them in his love and he brings them over to that place of destiny when I was researching this week um, I, I, I just want to say we're all broken Turn to the person next to you say, you're broken. And you can then say to the person, well, that makes two of us. <laughs> There's a, a Japanese philosophy called kintsugi. It, it might not pronounce it that right either, but I get all the difficult ones. But... There's a philosophy in Japanese homes, if a vase is broken, you don't, rip, you don't throw it away, but, you, but an art form has developed where you repair it, the broken pieces, because it's, it's, about, it's a part of their history. That, that vase represents a history, and it's rather something to celebrate rather than disguise or throw it away. And this art form is that you repair it with gold solder. And they become a thing of great value and of great worth and beauty. And there's, uh, I saw this, I cho- wanted to choose this particular one because I think it's really beautiful. And uh, um, if you can see just the watermark there, Lakeside Pottery, there's a, there's a, a couple in America, um, Morty and Patty. Morty and Patty, if you're listening this morning, thank you for giving us permission to use a picture of your pottery. There's this lovely family, a couple in America, in Rehoboth, uh, able to have some communication with. And I said, can I use your, a picture of one of your pots? In, in, I explained what I'm talking about, broken lives being repaired. And they said, yes, we'd be delighted. Just give us a mention. Thank you, if you're listening. Because what God's demonstrating through your creative business is really precious, and it, I'm sure it will speak to many hundreds and thousands of people. Does that remind you of your life? 
Maybe your family's become broken. It may be a marriage is broken. It may be your relationships are broken. Maybe you're broken. I want to say, because of Jesus, the love of God and the tender hands of the nail-pierced palms of Jesus, he can rebuild that which is broken. And he welds it together with his grace and mercy. And that's what this story is about in the Old Testament. But we're a part of a bigger story. Because Christ died for a people to fit us together, broken people, to be a vase in which he could pour out his presence. And we could then take his presence out into the community and impart hope to people where there's no hope. To explain to people, there is a Father in heaven who won't let you down. There is forgiveness. There is a way back. There is a hope. God can, br- can mend. There's no situation that God cannot mend by his grace and mercy and power. And, and, and God is preparing us as one person, as one new man. This is what this is all about, what we've been talking about earlier. I want more of God, don't you? I want God, if there's anything in my life, God, repair it. Yes. I, want, I want us to be filled with the glory of God. Let's just be quiet for a moment. Time's gone.